what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff. And today I have another special guest joining us. I have singer, songwriter, instrumentalist, and film composer, also the owner of Alton James Media, Alton James. How you doing, Alton? I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Thank you uh, for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show today. I'm super excited to have you on, and I'm super excited to have the conversation that we're going to have today. Likewise, man. Awesome. <laughs> really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to take a shout-out to all the listeners in all 60-plus countries. Thank you, guys. I love you guys. Thank you for continuing to like, share, and subscribe, and spread the word about Sane Show. And if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Sane underscore show. That's Sane, S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook at Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's Sane Show. So today, uh, we're going to have a conversation about the back door to success. Um, a really interesting conversation is something that really didn't spark my mind until uh, we had our first conversation when we met uh, via Clubhouse. And then we're going to have a conversation about capturing the essence. Um, again, you being a film composer, I thought this was a really unique topic. And you know, me being a, a, a big fan of cinema and really good movies, I thought this would be a great um, conversation to have with someone like yourself. And then following those two topics, we're going to have an interview with you, Alton, so that we can learn more about you and all the things that you do and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that, all right? Sounds good. All right, so let's go ahead and hop right into it with our first topic, the back door to success. First, I want to say there's many paths to success. Let's just start there. And I also want to say that because you take the back door doesn't mean that it's any easier. So I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea after listening to this. And I believe it, it helps, you know, getting to the right people early. And I think that it shows, in my opinion, great networking skills to be able to do those kinds of things as well. So, And, and not saying that all people who don't do it this way aren't good at whatever it is they're doing. I mean, there's this everybody's different, right? And everybody has skills in different areas. And, you know, some people are better like just speaking of entertainment, you know, some people are better like with us, you know, Instagram comedians, right? Being putting the skits out there and same with the musicians, right? Putting the music out there and drawing the crowd early and doing what they do and get all the attention and, you know, getting the attention of those who uh, can help them get to whatever their uh, end goal is. So, you know, I want to open it up to you. Just got to get your thoughts on it again, because the conversation that we had, you know, very in, in, insightful and very enlightening and, did a lot for me, <laughs> uh, especially glad. as of late in some of the things that I've done. So if you you go ahead. You got it. To me, so I'll start with my philosophy with anything that I do is just two things, which is do a great job and treat people the right way. And the thing that's crazy about that is when it comes to success and even thinking about this back door, as you're calling it, if you're able to bring value to people, they have something that they have of value to you, then you can leverage those two things. So for instance, like we had a discussion via somebody that connected us, right? And you got something out of our conversation. I'm getting something out of being able to, you know, talk to you on your platform. And I think when people address 
any interactions they have with people as not not trying to use someone, but trying to say like, okay, what can I do to bring value to them? And vice versa, like, what can we get out of this together? And I think when people approach things as how can we better each other, then the whole environment, the whole situation changes. And, uh, you know, obviously and unfortunately, we see too much entertainment and people that are in high positions, they tend to want to say, what can I just get out of this person? But it's not it's not this reciprocal relationship of them giving something back to someone else. And so when we have that approach that changes everything and I'll let you, I'll let you steer the conversation if you want to get uh, kind of more specific about that. Yeah. It's so funny. You bring that up, especially you talk about it being mutual. I mean, this was literally the conversation that I was having uh, with a friend of mine who was recently on the show and he recently served as a uh, executive at a major network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, just, it was just crazy, uh, you know, again, how he expressed interest in wanting to help me get to my end game. And obviously, you know, it, it, the exchange has to be mutual because for one, me, how I operate, the, if anybody wants to help me, I want to help them. Right. Right. How can we both win? How can we both benefit? Because, uh, I mean, even if you're not looking for anything from me, I'm going to feel indebted to you for whatever reason and to want to do my part to help you with whatever it is you're doing. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. And that, and just want to say for that reason, that's why I brought all my mentors into the fold. Exactly. <laughs> because they've done so much for me. It's like, okay, this is me wanting to give back to you and wanting you to be a part of my success, even though you may not have asked for it. So, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you on that. And I just, like, I, I'm so glad you, when we talked, that we had this conversation, um, especially, again, like, just listening to all the things, the cool things that you have going on, I think about how, like, your your path is very similar to mine. And I just still remember to this day how I, you know, I stopped you and I said, well, let me tell you my situation. What do I need to do? <laughs> you sound like you're in a very similar position as I am. And, and this is what you need to do. And I've been doing exactly that. And when I tell you it's paid off, it's paid off. So uh, again, thank you for that. But uh, yeah, like just, just getting to the right individuals that, and again, and not only just, for gaining something, because even just to learn, get information, doesn't always have to be, oh, can you can you help me do this or can you help get me there? Like there's always, at the very minimum, there's always be something to learn from whomever you come in contact with. So those are just some of my thoughts when it comes to, again, the the back door to success. I could put this actually really simply the. The back door is a couple things. Number one, I think, and this is no fault of any individual, but I think our society kind of forces us to say, you got to get paid. You got to get this money. You got to do this. You got to do that. Um, Instead of really flipping your mindset in terms of being more service and and in terms of what you can learn. And a great uh, example I can give of this is like, for instance, uh, I'm one of the partners at, at Verse Comics. And... Whenever you do anything worthwhile, whether it's 
starting a company or producing a TV show or a movie, whatever the case may be, you need a lot of people to make that happen. And if you just have, you know, one or two people running around saying, this is this is mine, this is mine, I need all the credit, I need all the money, well, then you're never going to serve the project and, and get to the ultimate goal, or whatever your ultimate goal is with whatever you're doing. So when I partner with B. Van Randall or Jarrell Three, and we're doing these projects, we're bringing our individual skill sets to it, and we're just doing sweat equity. You know, we're working on things, but we understand the value of one another. So for instance, let's say you have a project and you partner, you, you mentioned, you know, Instagram stars or influencers, people like that. If you can bring value to that person, why wouldn't they partner with you? If, if you're going to increase their platform and allow them to have more opportunities or more, more money on the back end, why wouldn't they uh, agree to work with you? And if you want to launch a clothing line and you're a great person in terms of sewing and making patchwork, all that kind of stuff, but you can't draw and you can't do designs, well, it would be in your benefit to say, hey, I know X person, they're a great illustrator, they're a great concept artist, let's partner together and we'll both profit off of the work that we put in this. And I think when we flip our mindset from being just these people that have that have to acquire so much and we think about how can we serve one another if if you can bring value to somebody else and they can bring value to you you can both kind of win in the end and so i think that's the biggest message because people people a lot of times are crazy they just want to use people and and get to all the assets themselves but we ha really have to flip our mentality that's very true that is very true uh, we have to flip our <laughs> mentality you, you just you made me think like yeah a lot of times we're like give me give me give me give me give me you know <laughs> like no but what can I give? A good friend told me, and we, you know, we talk about this all the time, I guess more so remind each other is that you, know, you get a lot when you come from a place of giving. And it's not the fact that you you give so that you can get, but it just so happens that when you give, one, that's just that does just happen, that you, you, you get offered a lot. But it's because people see how much you care. So then people start caring and then it's like you, yes. you start offering you a lot, but you don't come from a place of giving just for the sake of trying to get something in return. Exactly. 100%. And it goes back to what you said about learning. I take everything as a learning opportunity. I'll, I'll give you a nugget. So somebody contacted me a, a few weeks ago and said, Hey, I got this film coming up. I heard about your work from blah, blah, blah would love to have you maybe work on this film. I said, okay, cool. They said, okay, we have a clip. Can you put some music to it? And I said, sure. So I write the music. I send it to them. I have not heard back from them, right? <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Right. And, and so, I'm, you know, I could on one end go, oh, my God, this, you know, this person's ridiculous. Like, and get mad and go off on them. But it's like, okay, well, I took it as an exercise. I worked on some music. I can hold it in my back pocket, whether they, they come back or not. You know, I use it as a learning opportunity. And I think sometimes we have to just look at some of the things that we do as learning something. And for me, I've as a composer, what's really crazy, a lot of people don't realize this, even, you know, at the really highest levels of Hollywood, a lot of composers, they have requests to have so many revisions on what they write. So you you might have an hour and a half film and the composer might have written four hours of music for it. 
but you will never hear that other, you know, two and a half hours worth of music when you go, when you go to the movies. So that's stuff that they hold on to. Then a lot of times composers will say, you know, this was something different I did. We never used it, but now it's an idea I have to use for something else in the future. And so when we, again, it just goes back to like reframing our mentality because there are a lot of people that are out there for themselves. And if we can figure out like how can we re-manifest our energy and and make it something positive. So I'm sitting on tons of music right now that I've never released. But, you know, it it might be something that I can use in the future. And so uh, that's that's just how I go and, uh, and and look at those situations. All right, we're back. Now we're going to have a conversation about capturing the essence. Again, you're a film composer, so this is to me a very cool topic. <laughs> you know. I'm now thinking about, you know, films like, you know, Jurassic Park, E.T. I don't know, a lot of, there's a lot of great movies out there, obviously, great film scores. I mean, you know, Star Wars, <laughs> I can name a bunch. And, you know, I, I think that it takes a unique individual to be a film composer. You know, having to compose music for a particular scene, to me, seems like it takes a lot of work. And I would think that one would not only have to have a good ear but you know a sense to paint the picture before seeing it and before it's actually played out on screen and you know i want you to give the listeners some insight you know based off of the work that you have already done and it would just again like really just paint the picture for (laughs) uh, again um, through your experience i'm going to go ahead and hand over to you no you know you know what's funny the the three movies you mentioned are by my favorite composer and who I would say is the greatest composer of all time. You mentioned Star Wars, E.T., and Jurassic Park. That is none other than John John Williams. John John Williams has, has scored like the the music to everything, right? But it's interesting. So you you talk about painting a picture. So the way that scores worked during John's time, or the way that he composes, is very different a lot of times from how film directors ask for films to be composed these days. So one of the things that John Williams did was uh, he really uses what's called late motif, which is you have a melody that's associated with a person or a place um, or an idea, and then you use that melody in different situations and in different contexts. So what's really awesome about that is that melody can be put in a whole lot of different situations. And so that's what allows you to kind of bridge the world of all these different sounds across an entire film. So like if you talk about Star Wars, you know, there's a Force theme and Yoda has a theme and Princess Leia has a theme. They all have their music, right? But when, you know, you flip it, you can make a melody sound really happy or you can make it sound really sad or mysterious or dangerous. And so that's how you kind of create expectations and create this tension with characters. But at the end of the day, man, music is a language just like English or any other language. And so what you're trying to do is tell a story. That's why I always call myself, you know, a sonic storyteller. So if you're, you know, when you went to grade school and you learned, oh, you know, there's a plot, there's the characters, there's the content and the theme and the setting, like you learned all these major aspects of storytelling and you're doing the same thing with music, right? So 
if the story climaxes, the music is going to climax in certain spots. Like, if you have certain characters associated with certain things, those characters will have certain melodies or certain sounds associated with them. And so it's it's really no different. But the fun in music is the fun and the challenge. I'll say this. So you look at the English language. We got 26 letters, right? A through Z. Now, you can arrange those 26 letters into words, and then you can arrange those words into sentences and those sentences into paragraphs and those paragraphs into pages, right? Well, if you're looking at Western music, uh, we use what's called equal temperament, and there are only 12 notes. So we got 12 notes that you could put together to make different chords, which you could put together to make different progressions, which you could put together to make different movements and whole songs and whole uh, scores and whole cues. So the parallels are really simple and they're they're really connected. And so I think that people a lot of times think, oh my God, how can you score music and you know, write so much music or think about all these things? But at the end of the day, you just got to break it down into the little baby steps, into the little baby chunks. And when you do that, you realize that a really big sounding score is nothing but little tiny melodies from several instruments kind of played at the same time. And then it just sounds huge. So I don't think anybody here would have trouble spelling three-letter words but then when you think about putting all those three-letter words or four-letter words or five-letter words even not big words into these large phrases well then that's when you can create something complex and meaningful and connect to people so it doesn't have to be complicated I think a lot of times we overcomplicate things because it's hard for us to kind of sit down and listen sometimes to 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 the nuances of what's going on but when you start breaking it down like that man it's no different than doing something in business. A lot of times people are like, I want to start a business. And then they just get frozen. It's like, okay, well, the first step, can you come up with a name? Can, can you go file your uh, LLC papers with, uh, you know, with your state? Like, do the simple stuff first. And everything's a baby step. And when you start putting those baby steps together, man, you start doing some great things on the back end. Gotcha. Just want to take a step back to something. You were mentioning the melody, and I'm, I'm thinking about my hero and i'm thinking about the theme that they have for the main character deku and i think as you're talking about like the different moods and you know sad happy or in in one of his biggest battles i'm literally as you were giving examples or explaining it i'm thinking about the song right or the melody in all the different scenes so that's crazy that's really like i hear it's like you hear it but then when you when you think when you think of like one of your favorite melodies and then like pairing it with your explanation, it's mind blowing. <laughs> it's like, wow, I see what you I see what you mean though. Right. I see exactly what you mean. Cause I even think about it, I can see I can now see it with the with with the uh Star Wars thing. Oh yeah. Same thing. So <laughs> that's cool. I'm I'm so glad you you explained that like connected the dots pretty much everything makes sense now i see what's <laughs> going on here so <laughs> but yeah i mean again that's just one of the beauties of composition just being able to do those cool little things and i mean things that people don't even think about right but we think about on a subconscious level it's just taking that explanation like you just explained it to make it click and you know that aha moment oh i see what's going on here kind of thing so yeah really appreciate you you know taking it breaking that down i'm even seeing it like colors 
oh, how yeah. or like a orb, right? It might it and colors how they transition from color to color, you know, across a color spectrum based on like whatever the mood may be, right? You know, red being uh, you know, hot or whatever, and yellow being bright, happy, and blue being you know cold, you know, those kinds of things. Exactly. So you, All right, we're back. Now I'm going to ask you some questions all in so that the listeners can learn more about you, the things you do, and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. So I'm going to go ahead and fire off with this first question. So Black people and other minorities rarely see themselves represented in education or music composition. Did you have a person or persons that you felt inspired by to enter these fields, or did you want to fill a void you saw in representation while also following your passion? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, but one of my biggest things is not getting caught up on, you know, what somebody looks like or how someone identifies. It's like just by being yourself, you can be an example to other people to show them that they can do the things that they want to do. So, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of folks that that look like me in terms of composers in Hollywood but the thing that's crazy and I think a lot of times we lose sight of is the fact that people usually work with and hire the people that they're around right and when we choose to put ourselves in different circles and be around different people you you make more opportunities for yourself so if you're seeing that a certain group of people or just certain individuals are kind of holding power over things well it's like put yourself in a circle where you can interact with those people and you know kind of make more opportunities for yourself and then for me it is important that people can see that all different types of people can be composers one of the things that's so interesting today is that more women are are getting opportunities uh, to be composers which we really haven't seen uh, it's really kind of been only a thing in the last five years, honestly, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, when I think about Hollywood, kind of the most notable composer I can think of that's a woman is is Rachel Portman, and then uh, uh, Miss Walker, who did the uh, the score for like the original Batman series. So it's it's not a lot of opportunities, but I think as as you just be your if you're just yourself, you do great work. You interact with a lot of different people, give yourself an opportunity to be seen uh, for your talent versus uh, how you look. You'll, you'll start to make those opportunities for yourself and then people will be able to see you in that light and have something to aspire to. And so that's that's kind of the way that I go about it. We, we talked about John Williams earlier. I've been, you know, really inspired by him. And obviously, you know, we don't look anything alike. But the thing is, it's like I can take the things that he's done and I can look at, you know, what Terrence Blanchard has done with all the Spike Lee's films and see what's made him successful. And I can look at, you know, Michael Abel, who's been doing all the stuff for uh, Jordan Peele recently and kind of having more opportunities with some other things and just and just kind of go about it that way. Because to be honest, when it comes to film composers, and we talked about that backdoor, it's been some real weird, wanky backdoor stuff with composers. Like people that have people that have come into composing being in alternative rock groups or, you know, being in a punk band or be, being in like really weird, crazy stuff. But then they get an opportunity 
uh, to score films just because they interact with a lot of different people and they put themselves in situations where people know who they are. And so, you know, I can think of a ton of examples. Um, I don't know if you saw Back to the Future. Back to the Future is one of my favorite trilogies, right? And that was Alan Silvestri. And he came into it because somebody was like, hey, he just moved there and you know he was he was being in a, he was in a band before and people were like hey we like his music it's like have you ever scored a film before no <laughs> but he got the gig because he knew somebody right and you know he had put himself in different circles so you know whether you're talking about daft punk who came from the electronic scene doing tron back in the day like all, all types of stuff man like you just gotta kind of put yourself out there and i think that's hard it's, it's it takes some courage to kind of put yourself out there and put yourself in situations where you're not normally doing stuff like right now i'm really knee deep in a musical that i worked with with someone her name's ann eskridge she 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 wrote a musical and i did all the music for that and so now we're working with theater now in new york which is kind of like a, a a musical theater incubator program so you know that's a different that's a different feel for me but it's fun it's great and i think as long as we keep putting our pushing ourselves excuse me outside of our comfort zone we get to be in situations that we wouldn't normally find ourselves and, and do some really cool things. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, so my next question to you, uh, people often think that a degree, a job, or where they are located limit where their career can go. How are you able to create opportunities where you are and balance a high-stress job with your other ambitions? Man, it's so funny. I've done stuff for people in China in the UK, uh, in Iran. <laughs> um, and that's just been me talking to people, messaging people, um, willing to kind of offer my help just to get to know people, get associated with them. And one of the things I do is look for people's work who I really like. And so I can think about when I first started out, I was just kind of scouring. I know this sounds crazy. I was scouring Kickstarter. And people would launch a project like, hey, I have a film. And I re reach out, hey, do you have someone doing the music for it? Oh, no, we don't. Cool, let's let's talk. And like, you know, I'm willing to assist you with your campaign. Like, let's, let's see if we can make some magic happen. And so, but I was also very strategic, like reaching out to people who I know you could tell that they, they value their work. They were trying to do a really great product. Because one of the things you also want to do is you want to associate yourself with, you know, people who are doing great work. And so for me, even though, you know, you got the you got the rigors of a, a day job and you're balancing some of these other things, it at least it makes it a lot more worthwhile when you can say you're working with people who care about their work and they're going to work just as hard for it as you are. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. And that that's what will really mentally drain you. And you'll give up on your dream. True. That's very true. Uh, you said human connection is something you said drives much of your work. How do your current pursuits fill that goal? And why is connection important to you? Connection is important because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you talked about how you've liked a lot of films and, and stuff in your time. One of the things I can think about is, you know, having majored in English and, and studied music you realize that storytelling and really meaningful art can change people's lives. And for me, that's the biggest push because I know that if I'm putting the work in and I'm doing something 
for something greater than myself, then it's going to be worth it in the end. And so that's what that's what drives the human connection, but not even so much the direct human connection, but the the mindsets and ideas and ideals uh, that will move humanity forward. So, you know, I can I can I could be honest with you now, like there are projects that I did early on that I didn't like and not just you know not necessarily didn't like the film but didn't like the content of it didn't like what it was kind of promoting or the the messages it was putting out there and I just don't do that stuff now because I feel like it's it's pulling me down mentally and and emotionally and and I want to communicate something better so I'm much more picky and choosy about the things that I work on now and I'm okay this is not going to be for everybody but I'm okay if you know, I'm foregoing, you know, possible money for something or the, the chance to do something else. But if it doesn't kind of sit right with me, then I kind of don't do it now. And that's not necessarily the approach to take if if you have a certain trajectory. Like, I'm not going to say if you have an opportunity right now to do something and it's going to bring you, you know, a lot of resources. OK, well, maybe it's in your best interest to do it now and then you can take the resources from that project and, and leverage it for some other things that you want to do. That's totally legit that's totally fine it's just now when i when you talk about trying to leverage the work you're doing on a day-to-day basis or you know day job stuff and your passions that you have to kind of think about where you are mentally and and psychologically with stuff because you will burn out very quickly and i've had moments where i burned out and you know where i was like oh i don't I don't want to do anything day job related, which I think most people are kind of like that anyway, right? Um, but then also kind of feeling like I don't even want to do the stuff that I'm passionate about. And so there's a there's a big balance there. Thank you for that and kudos and I respect that too. Really do. Uh, knowing that it's not all about the money. So a lot of people wouldn't say that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my last question to you, uh, it's been said that excluding a part of history warps that history. You have said that you are a believer in having a base knowledge. Why is growing and cultivating a wide range of knowledge important to personal and career growth? Oh, that's a that's a beautiful question, man. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take it to this really quickly. So I, I've done a lot of different things educationally. Like I got, I got my bas- uh, bachelor's in. in English and I ended up doing a master's and ed specialist and, and PhD in, in educational leadership and policy. And one of my uh, doctoral classmates was from France or is from France. He's not was, he's, he's still around, uh, is from France. He born and raised in France. And he talked about with me one day, he said in France, there's kind of this expectation that everybody has a baseline knowledge about everything so that you can meaningfully have conversations about anything, right? And I think when we expand our horizons, we also unlock a lot of our creativity. So I mentioned before that music, Western music is nothing but 12 notes, right? But out of those 12 notes, you can get rap, you can get classical, you can get bluegrass, you can get jazz. Like that's that's crazy. And all it is is taking those 12 notes combining them in different combinations and the thing that separates or the thing that actually makes music is silence and that sounds weird but it's the spaces between the notes 
that makes music because that gives you your rhythm. That gives you uh, the timing of what you're doing. And so it, it, all it is is 12 notes in different combinations in different timing. That's all it is. That's all music is. And I know that sounds crazy to, to boil it down like that, but, but, but that's it. And so when we, under, when we have a baseline understanding of things, we can deconstruct it. And then we can approach things in a much more, I would even say civilized way, because we're approaching things from facts and a, a general sense of what reality is versus I'm coming from my own standpoint and you're different or whatever the case may be. And, and we get to be a lot more open. And that just, your creativity just blows from there. It's crazy. Well. Thank you all for coming to Alton James's TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was that was that was phenomenal. <laughs> uh, well, hey, thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation. I mean that when I say that. And you are always welcome to come back on the same show. So you know, again, thank you uh, for coming on the show, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show as well. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always, always. And thank you, listeners, for continuing to listen to Sane Show, continuing to like, share, subscribe, and spread the word. Thank you, guys. I love you guys. And remember, you're listening to Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.